Hello, everyone, and welcome to Food Navigator Asia's monthly podcast, the FNA Food and Beverage Trailblazers. This is a series where we speak to and get to know more about groundbreaking food and beverage firms in the Asia Pacific region, as well as the people behind them and their stories. I am Pearly, the editor of Food Navigator Asia, and as always, I am your host for this series. Joining me today is Alex Min, founder and CEO of Reharvest, a food upcycling firm in South Korea. Reharvest is the first company of its kind in the country and has developed a flower alternative from the byproducts of drinks like beer and traditional Korean drink CK with a direct claim on carbon emissions. So hello, Alex. Welcome, first of all, and thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today. Hi, Pearly. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me to your podcast. It is my great honor to speak to you about my business and my experience. I'm looking forward to you know discussing these wonderful um, opportunities within the food upcycling sector. Thank you so much. It's really great to have you here. And I would like to start by talking a little bit more about Reharvest and what you do. So do give us a bit of an introduction for the benefit of listeners out there who are not so familiar with the firm and with the concept of upcycling. Uh, my company, as my you know, as the name of the company states, we're reharvesting uh, what is left over as a byproduct after you know making beers and shike, which is traditional Korean drink. And uh, what we do is we get these byproducts and we turn it into a highly nutritious and very delicious uh, uh, flower alternative, and uh, we call it Renergy Flower. And uh, based on this Renergy Flower, we sell it to B2B clients. And we also sell it to uh, regular individual customers after make turning it into uh, convenient little re- replacement products such as uh, granola bars, you know, cereals, uh, hot dogs, and, and and so much more. All right, very interesting. So let's also talk a bit more about what you are hoping to do with food and manufacturers trying to hit sustainability goals. So the last time we spoke, you did mention that your flower alternative can allow for products made from this to make a direct claim on carbon emissions. Could you tell us more about this? Right. Since we, we upcycle the byproducts and we turn it into alternative flower, um, there are two aspects in saving the carbon. So for example, um, first part, is actually, you know, we save the carbon that is actually going to be created um, if these byproducts were to be treated as a food waste. So that's one one part that we save. Another part that we save on is the uh, all the environmental um, negative impact in creating a, a flower. So, for example, we have to grow the wheat and we have to transport this wheat and also we have to mill it into a flower. So the value chain creates a carbon. So those carbons are going to be saved. So right now, um, one kilogram of energy flour will directly directly have a claim of 11 kilograms of carbon. And I think that is one thing that uh, manufacturers and consumers are very happy about. Um, I also recall you are working with some big name beer and CK firms like AB InBev to collect their byproducts to make your flour alternative. Could you tell us a bit more about the process? Is it you go to their plants, you collect the byproducts and you process these or is there more to it? Right. So there's a lot of uh, uh, you know companies that they want to work with us. And the main thing in Korea at least is because of the 2030 net zero policy. So by 2030, companies has to make sure and they don't add any carbons. So, you know, because of that net zero policy, a lot of companies are looking to, you know, give us the byproducts and turn it into uh, alternative flour and use it as well. So right now we are partnering up with uh, AB InBev's uh, Korean subsidiary called OB Beer, which is the biggest beer company in Korea. And what we do is uh, we, we get the uh, beer byproducts from OB Beer 
and we upcycle them and we, we sell it as a, a, our own branded, reharvest branded products. And also we have uh, co-branded products with OV beers and we make series of uh, granola products. So we also introduce to to those products in the market. And in the midst of all that, OBBR is able to claim a carbon reduction, um, have a direct carbon reduction as a claim. Power. Our upcycling is composed of five processes. So first process is we get the, you know, after we get the byproducts, uh, we clean them. And secondly, we also uh, dehydrate uh, the byproducts that's been cleaned. And third, we, you know, the byproducts gets dried, and fourth, it gets milled. And fifth, finally, um, it goes through um, inspection stage where we inspect foreign matters and um, microorganisms. So given the fact that byproducts are usually very hot and steamy, uh, we have to make sure that uh, we have a very strong, con strict control on quality, especially in regards to microorganisms. So if we move a little bit further towards um, a regulatory and food safety perspective, so I know that uh, your flour is now viewed as a novel food in South Korea and it is governed as such. So is this the same path that you are looking to follow as you expand to other countries? I think for Korea, in terms of regulations and, and statutes, um, you know, it was quite difficult because the awareness is not there. Um, they never thought of, you know, byproducts being used as the food in the past. Depending on the country and depending on the history of the country's uh, uh, political background, I think it will take, take uh, more time to do it. Uh, it may not take uh, longer as such. So, for example, um, if you're looking at uh, Japan, uh, the the alcohol beverage is actually governed by the tax authority, as whereas uh, in China, the alcohol um, policy is managed by the FDA, and a, uh, Food and Drug Administration. So, you know, those differences make it uh, process a little bit more arduous. So, for example, in Japan, if you want to um, register your beer byproducts, you have to go through the National Tax Agency as well as uh, Japan's FDA. So you have to go through two two government regulations for for approval, um, but in China you just go through one. So in terms of speed, um, you know China will be much faster. So you know given those you know political background, also you know the market understanding of the product, uh, it, it will it will really change the 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 speed of the market entry. So for example, in Europe, food upcycling has been there for a really long time. Um, and it got commercialized around 2012 in Europe. So, you know, the regulations and the market understanding is quite quite uh, widely spread out, whereas in Asia it's quite limited. So those will be the consider consideration that you, you might want to think about. After talking so much about the firm and the industry and the regulations, I'd now like to drive the conversation back to you and your entrepreneurial journey. So I know your background was very much in finance and consulting previously. So what drove you to take up food entrepreneurship, you know, and in such a niche area like upcycling, no less? Um, growing up from a traditional Asian families, um, you know, there is always something that you needed to do and there's always something that you've been wanting to do. And as a first son, as a, as a first son's first son, um, it was uh, my duty to become, you know, doctor or, or accountant. <laughs> and, you know, at a young age, I've, I've been always wanting to become a, a chef. And my mom and dad said, hey, you know, if you become a chef, you're not going to make enough money. You know, you should be able to do something that is uh, serving the community or, or, you know, become a doctor or lawyer and make a lot of money. Right. So um, there is that that needs um, from from my parents. So. 
you know, despite of me wanting to become, you know, some expert in the FMB industry, uh, you know, I had to become an accountant. Um, you know, I started working out as a M&A expert where, I, you know, I advise firms to, you know, do investment scheming. Um, I also did strategy consulting, operations consulting for F&B companies. So those kind of experiences really, you know, made me think about what I really want to do. And during that time, uh, 12, 12 years into my career, uh, I got a, a colon cancer. So, you know, from that cancer, you know, I was lying on my bed. I was thinking to myself, am I really that happy, right? And, you know, I wasn't that happy. Uh, for that first time in my life, I've been wanting to do what I wanted to, want, wanted to do. So my one has been always been in the food sector and also uh, social events as well so you know at a young stage i always wanted to give back to the community and you know combining both ideas i thought about food upcycling will be a great way to you know fulfill my mission and my vision as well so that's why i started out my career as a as a, a very niche market which is a food upcycler I guess the obvious question here is, what are the main differences that you have seen between your previous roles in accounting and finance and consulting and this one in food entrepreneurship, you know, and what have been the main challenges that you have seen when making this change? So, you know, great question. You know, the, the main difference is, you know, as a working uh, for a big company and, you know, versus having my own business is level of the ownership. Um, you know, if you are working for a company, you're, of course, in charge of your roles and responsibilities and and that's it right sometimes people do a little bit more but you know that that's not always the case and that was that was even for me you know i was you know just doing what i was given to do um now that i'm my own my own business business everything i do is my my fault and my gain as well so i have more more drive and motivation for um you know managing my company a little bit better um, one thing that is really difficult that I that I found out is me having to separate out my personal life and business, because at the end of the day, you know, whatever you do as a startup or or your business, um, it becomes your you know like a second persona. So, you know, whatever negative things about you know my my firm and any good things about my firm is actually a bad news and good news to me. So. You know, sometimes it is very difficult to separate out. Given this is your um, breakout food industry experience, what have you found that is unique about the food sector that, you know, any entrepreneur that wants to enter the industry needs to know? I think food sector is quite unique. So, for example, and, and I think it really depends on, you know, where you start out your business as well, at least for China, Korea and Japan. Um, you know, FMB business industry is like cartel, you know, people actually, you know, try, you know, they, they want to work with people they, they know mm. and, you know, you know, things that are familiar with. So when I first introduced the topic of food upcycling, they're shocked, you know, mm. how can you use a, a, a byproduct, which is food waste and turn it into a, a alternative food? And, you know, everyone was very against it because they have a very strong, conception where you know you know things have been working for you know 40 years 50 years no problems and you know someone enter into the market as a as a newbie and try to introduce new concept and that was that was really difficult so in that asian mindset um i think the the food food sector which is also um very you know network driven in china and japan and korea 
I thought it was pretty difficult for me to not have a very strong background in food. So that was that was that was difficult, and I, I'm sure, which is I, I'm sure is same for Indonesia, Thailand, and I think I think I think other parts of uh, Southeast Asia as well. So having that strong network into the food um, food industry will be key. So for example, you know, if you have money, and you know you're willing to pay. And you know, try to make energy bar or granola bar from the OEM factory. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not want to do it because they don't know you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they will ask you for your reputation, mm-hmm. um, you know, your your references and your examples, and you know, even the network. And if you don't have it, um, it will be quite difficult to pursue. So, is there anything you wish you had known when you started out in the beginning? You know, anything that you might have changed if you had known this already? I think the main thing is to understand, you know, how the market will react. So um, when I first started out my company, I, I was obsessed with making a perfect product. Um, you know, not just market ready, but perfect. And, you know, that that really delayed my market launch of the product. And, you know, then I found out, you know, I introduced my product to the market and the expectat- and the feedback that I got was, you know, very different from what I was expected, right? Um, I was expecting like raising reviews and, and great praises from cons- consumers, but, you know, I didn't get that actually, you know, mm-hmm. half of the consumers thought that my product was, you know, below average. And I thought that, I, I thought to myself, um, I think it might be better just to introduce the market with the product, the sooner the better, and then get the feedback. And then, uh, uh, you know, make my product becomes more more feasible to the market. It is better to, um, you know, come up with an MVP products, the minimal viable products, mm-hmm. versus a, a 100% perfect product because there is no such thing as a perfect product in the market. I started introducing various different products to the market. Um, every month I had two products that's being introduced to the market. And then, you know, every time I get a feedback, I try to update my product and then try to introduce the market with the better product. So, you know, by having doing that continuously, I was able to find a good product. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, I found a, a product market fit. Where do you see yourself and reharvest in, let's say, the next 12 months and the next five years down the line? So right now, um, you know, in, we have a very strong presence in, you know, um, some sector in Korea um, right now. Uh, in terms of eco-friendly sector in the food business in Korea, we're like we're like we're like the only one in Korea. Mm-hmm. But we do want to be a we do want to expand ourselves into um, not just food upcycling sector, but since we're you know making alternative flour and also making other alternative food products, uh, we want to be able to you know submerge the market with different you know products and different lineup of uh, uh, services. So. That's what I've been wanting to do in Korea for short term. And for a longer term, I do want to expand my product or product lineup a little bit more. So in the near future, I'm actually we have a patented uh, alternative uh, milk made from uh, uh, byproducts. Mm. Also alternative cheese, alternative yogurt. So I, I want to expand my product lineup a little bit more so that, you know, us having to uh, keep that food upcycling as a theme. But, you know, we have a different alternative products in the in the product lineup. Do you have any advice for those out there who are trying to move into entrepreneurship from a different line or you know, make a big switch in life towards a goal like you have? 
Um, the main question that you might want to ask yourself before starting up your own business um, should be why must be you, right? So, um, and it shouldn't, it should, and that answer shouldn't be just because you thought about it first, right? Um, you know, a lot of people can think about your business idea, your products, but you know, you got to think about, you know, what is so unique about yourself or your team that only you guys can do it. Um, you know, that's something that you might, you know, want to, want to ask yourself before you start your business, because, you know, I get that questions a lot from investors and, you know, a lot of media coverage that I do with the, with the uh, media. And I think you should be able to answer that. And if you have a strong answer, for that question, I think whatever you do will have a great result. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alex. Great advice and it was wonderful chatting with you. Thank you, Pearly. Um, it was my great honor to join your podcast. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you so much. And thank you also, everyone, for listening to this podcast as well. And I wish everyone a great day ahead. For Food Navigator Asia, this is Pearly signing out.